Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season four, we return to our focus on big ideas that will change our profession. On today's episode, we discuss managing risk. We're asking ourselves, does a worry about risk hold lawyers back? I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Bonjour, Darlene. <laughs> Hello, how are you? Uh, I'm good, thank you. Good. I like the French. Threw in a different language for some variety. I used to be bilingual. What um, happened? I, well, I, I stopped using it. So now <laughs> here, I, I suppose I'm trying to integrate French back into my life by right. saying hello to people. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I used to be a little bit bilingual. And when I went to South America to travel, I something very strange happened, but Spanish like subbed out the French. And then only recently has French come back and I can, I can function in French if I have to really under duress though. No one, no one tests me on that because it's uh, I'm much better understanding it than speaking it. Yeah. Funny you say that as, as we've mentioned in episodes from a long time ago now, I took Spanish in grade 10. Rodrigo. Rodrigo. That's right. Uh, And then what happened? So then I then I went to university and I wanted to become bilingual. I was in Ottawa, wanted to get involved and blah blah blah. So I take French classes again. And what happened was, I guess taking Spanish made me speak French like a Spanish person. Like my teacher told me that I had a Spanish accent speaking French. Right. So maybe that's more common than. And then cross you, up. you told her you were actually Rodrigo, and this explained it all. Or? Skinny. I said, "Yo soy Rodrigo." <laughs> Yo soy Rodrigo. I think about that periodically when I meet someone or see the name Rodrigo. I still get a chuckle out of that. That's so. I really funny. loved it. I really loved. I loved having that name. High school um, teachers must get a real kick out of some of the things their students do. Like that's pretty yes. funny. That's a that's a funny leap for you to take. I did yeah. a lot of weird things when I was younger. I, I one time, um, <laughs> this is speaking. Well, this episode is about risk, so this was a risk. So, uh, in also in university, I ran for uh, like the student federation, and um, one of the things I would do in election time is I made a um, what's it called a cardboard cutout of myself. Oh my god! And I attached it to a remote control car, and <laughs> what I would do was. I would drive it into like the cafeteria during a busy time. So people would see a cardboard cutout just like slowly come into the, the cafeteria. And then I would appear walking behind it. And people <laughs> thought it was like, the funniest thing in the world. And it worked. I was elected. Uh, but another weird risky thing. I did, I did some funny stuff. That, that could have gone other way. Yeah. That could have gone either way. That's I like it though. I like the... Uh... You, you could you could use that for many things, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it's nice to be chatting about uh, Mike of today and Mike of old on this nice summer day when we're revisiting some of the stuff that we did earlier this year with the pod. And only now are we we're bringing it back, I guess. We're ready to go with them. Yeah, that's right. So we had pre-COVID, like professional podcasters. This is, this is the first yes. time we actually had episodes pre-recorded, banked for this season. And then... Uh, the pandemic hit and it seemed like we had to kind of go back into our our regular schedule because things were evolving so much and the conversation was completely different. Um, And, um, you know, and then as well with uh, the murder of George Floyd and uh, the protests that came and the good conversations that came from that, the same applied. And so um, we want to continue, obviously, to speak about 
what life is like today and the issues that are before us. Uh, but as well, it feels like there is, um, you know, I think some room for us to start to think about um, our profession again uh, as we as we start to adapt to what uh, life is like now. Fair? Totally. And I know I, I said this on an earlier podcast and I got some listener feedback that it had it had sort of connected with people. But I, I did go through a phase which was um, happening at the time we decided to, to put these podcasts uh, away until we had the mental space to consider these weighty issues of big ideas and where is the profession going again. And I would say that I've only maybe in the last week started getting back into reading about, you know, where the profession is going and stuff like that. So I definitely had a little bit of a shock to the system of just focusing on the almost like a survival instinct, I guess, right? Like focusing on the basics, like acquiring supplies, figuring out time, making sure everyone's safe, you know, making sure that there's like equilibrium in in the house and the work. And then now I've got a little bit of, uh, I think it's mental space because it's not less busy now. It's just uh, an adjusted period, I guess, to your point. Just kind of, we've, we've come around and now I think back to this topic, we had such an interesting interview with um, our guest that I'll leave to you to introduce. But it was uh, it was a fortuitous encounter that I had with, uh, with him on an airplane and then decided that it would make a great podcast to share with listeners. So um, I think it's time. It's time to bring out this podcast. Oh, wow. So this is, this is an episode uh, where, as mentioned off the top, we're actually speaking with, with Judas Rochinsky. And uh, Judah works in the insurance game um, when it comes to the legal field. And you'll hear in this episode, I think, some surprising stuff from somebody, you know, in in that space. Oftentimes, and Darlene, you, you speak to this often, folks look at the insurer, uh, as, you know, as to be kind of scared or feared or what's behind that door, you know. And I think Judah does a great job at, at showing that in that world, you can acknowledge and manage risk in more innovative ways than at least um, I thought uh, before we talked to him um, might be championed. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I felt would be the the service of it, and I think our conversation got out. Uh, I mean, he's he's a very he has an interesting perspective on the policy and the business of law that I think is uh, something that will everyone can take something from it who's practicing law today, whether in house counsel or uh, a small firm lawyer who doesn't have a team to talk to about these issues, but there is a culture in our industry of of how you think about your insurance and you think about your role as an insured professional that I think he, he is helpful on. So um, yeah. And for international listeners, he does a little bit of explanation of the difference between the, um, the American system in particular and the Canadian system. So that's, that's helpful too. Great. So um, with that, we'll turn over to the interview. But first, uh, here is his bio. Judah manages and promotes Practice Pro, Law Pro's innovative claims and risk management initiative, including identifying emerging claims and risk, resource creation, and outreach to the profession. Before joining Law Pro, he served as policy counsel at the Law Society of Ontario, where he provided strategic counsel with respect to key issues facing the profession, including access to justice, professional regulation, governance, and legislative issues. Prior to that, Judah practiced litigation and served as a fellow at the Physicians for Human Rights in Cambridge, Massachusetts, as president of the Canadian Lawyers for International Human Rights from 2013 to 2018, and as director 
of the Canadian Millennium Scholarship Foundation. Judah has a Bachelor of Arts from McGill University in Humanistic Studies and International Development Studies and a JD from the University of Toronto. And here he is, Judah Strachinsky. Hi, thanks for having me. Are you excited for your, your turn on the Lawyer Life pod? You know, I really am. Uh, it's a bit daunting. I know you might find that funny, but once you've heard an Olympian on the show and then it's your turn, it's like, okay, let's do this. Uh, right. Deirdre, yeah. Yeah, she was You're great. keeping good company. <laughs> yes, the lawyer who also won an Olympic medal. Yes, she was our, our first guest and uh, yeah, quite quite awesome. Thanks for joining us. And as you know, and as all of our listeners know, we are in our big ideas season. So this is the season where we bring folks on who have a unique perspective and have given a lot of thought to a certain area of our profession to come on and kind of suggest something big that could change the way that we practice. And I'm very excited for the conversation with you today, Judah, because it's something that I've mulled over a lot in my head. And we're just kind of here to discuss whether lawyers kind of fear of mistakes can actually drive worse outcomes for lawyers and their clients. Is that a fair way to kind of drop our topic today? Sure. And and how we can use risk and no risk to practice in, in safe and healthy ways. I will just preface this by saying that this episode came to be a little bit fortuitously. So I met Judah on the airplane going to Chicago for the ABA tech show in February. And I was working on my slides somewhat last minute <laughs> on my <laughs> laptop, which led Judah to ask me if I was uh, potentially going to this tech show. And we got chatting. And when I learned what you do, I, it brought to mind something, I think I mentioned this to you, but a few listeners have suggested to us that we deal with the concept of mistakes and how they actually play out in practice because lawyers live in such fear of making mistakes. Sure. And then what we really want to do is kind of just walk through and learn about just what happens practically. How does the insurer help us with mistakes? Why? How do we deal with them? What do you see? Sure. So we are an insurance company based in Ontario, Canada. Uh, for the foreign listeners, here's the overview of how things run in Ontario and in all of the provinces and territories of Canada. Lawyers are regulated by law societies. We also have separate associations that bring different parts of the legal communities together and provide legal education and act for the interests of lawyers. And then we also have separate independent insurance companies that are mandatory insurance for lawyers in various jurisdictions. So in Ontario, LawPro, the Lawyers Professional Indemnity Company, is an independent insurance company. We're governed by Ontario's Insurance Act and its Corporations Act. And the regulator, the Law Society, has mandated that every lawyer in private practice in our province and our paralegals who practice in partnership with lawyers have to get their insurance from LawPro. So that's what we do. We are the mandatory policy coverage, and we're there protecting lawyers, but also protecting the public. How many claims are there in a year? Or can you give us some stats, like real stats, and then we'll go from there to the emotional impact of those stats? 
Sure. We've got over 2,500 claims a year, generally, that come in our door. Uh, a claim, so let's put that in context. There are about 27,000 lawyers who we insure every year who are in private practice. We've got about 27,000 lawyers serving all across the province in different types of settings. So in-house counsel aren't included in that number. Government lawyers aren't included in that number. There are about 50,000 lawyers in Ontario total, 27,000 who we insure. Of that number, about 40% of them are going to have a claim with us at any given moment. We have about 2,700 new claims reported in 2018, just to give you a sense of how many claims are reported. But that can be anything under the sun. That can be somebody who's been sued, has been served with a statement of claim, but it could also be somebody who thinks they might have made a mistake and are proactively reporting to us, which we encourage people to do. So we've got about 4,200 claims open at the moment in total, and we've got over $400 million under management and claims cost the profession through us about $80 million a year. So we're there repairing errors where we can, settling if we must, and vigorously defending if we really think there's no merit to an action. That is a, that's a surprising number, I think, to many lawyers. To think that of that 27,000, there's 40% of claims in some manner that are uh, related to their practice. What does that say to you about, what's the message, I guess, that comes along with that to lawyers? Two things. One is better to report to us early and often if there are issues coming up in your practice. We need to know early if there's a missed deadline or if you think that there might be a miscommunication that's significant between you and your client so that we can help guide you through the next steps. So some people think claim means I've got to be sued. That's not actually what we mean by a claim. Number two is being sued or getting into trouble with a client is part of business. That's just the reality of being a lawyer these days, particularly in high-risk areas like litigation or family law, where sometimes we get absolutely frivolous claims against lawyers from disgruntled clients or even from the clients who are in the adversarial relationship who are on the other side of a matter. And so that is just the cost of doing business, to be sued as a lawyer when you're out there on the front lines of providing legal services. That's a cost of doing business. It's a risk, and it's something that can be managed. I still think it's very reassuring to hear you say something that I've always sort of felt, which is we are an insured profession. There's a reason for that. It's because of the importance of what we do. It's because of the consequential nature of what we do. And it is something to be aware of as a lawyer that, that that's, that's part of being a professional. Yeah. And like, let's unpack that for people who might be listening in jurisdictions where you don't have to have insurance. In the States, most jurisdictions don't have mandatory insurance from a particular provider. I think Oregon is the only one that has a VAR-related required insurance provider. There are some VAR-affiliated ones as well. And then there are some that say, go to the open market. I think it's important for anyone, whether you are mandated to have insurance or whether you're just 
considering insurance, that it's really there to protect you. And it also protects your clients. And some sophisticated clients are going to ask, do you have insurance? Because at the end of the day, the services that you are providing can be bet the company level services. So they want to know that you're protected. And we do hear from time to time of clients who are going to go forward and ask what level of insurance you have as well. Can we also help people sleep better in walking through what happens if a claim is made against you? How do things, what's the process, what typically occurs, what are the most likely results, and so on? Yeah, so in Ontario, the uh, the reality is, is that we have a, a very simple online report form at lawpro.ca, and people will provide us with the general basis of the reason why they think there might be an issue, be it an error or an omission, a missed deadline, a client who's threatening them that they're dissatisfied, or they think that the lawyer screwed up, whatever it is, you can fill it out online. And then one of our claims professionals will review it. And our claims professionals typically are lawyers who have years of practice experience who have litigated or practiced in family law or practiced in corporate commercial or any of the other big areas where we see errors. And so they've lived that experience of being in private practice with a client base, with all of the pressures, and they know the ins and outs of what it is to practice and can help in a real practical way to assess what's going on and what the next steps need to be. It sounds like what you're saying is LawPro understands that their client base is deeply affected by even the perceived claim, whether it's merit, whether there's any merit to it or not, deeply stressful. Like what you're describing, this idea of a client, these strike terror into the heart of, I would say, all lawyers (laughs) without exception, right? What's the state of mind of lawyers that are interacting with LawPro? Yeah, so let's, let's talk about that state of mind. It can be really varied. We've seen the whole run of emotions, but I think a lot of the time we see people who might be afraid, they might be embarrassed, they might be angry. There's a real range there, but if if you've put out, uh, you've received a statement of claim or you missed a deadline, and uh, let's face it, lawyers operate at a very high level and when you make a mistake, it can feel embarrassing. And, and so a lot, of the, a lot of what we see is embarrassment or anxiety about the possible professional repercussions of having your peers know that you've made a mistake. Some are really angry that they've been sued. And, and I've seen this in other professions as well, where people say, this is just completely baseless. And I cannot believe this has happened. I'm furious. And we need to we need to respond in a fire with fire sort of way. And a lot of people are afraid. The other big piece, though, that we do see, and this is where sometimes things end up escalating, even though that's not the intention, is when a lawyer gets so stressed by the threat of litigation or by being served with papers that they delay or they try to avoid it. And Sometimes that's because of anxiety. Sometimes 
that's because of fear. There's usually some sort of underlying reason why somebody's pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. But when there's a mistake that's been made and you don't tackle it early or when you get sued, but you take your time before you tell LawPro, that can make it harder for us to respond and to try to repair the issue or to defend you. And so we always encourage people to report ASAP. And if you're not sure, just to report. It doesn't cost to report. And I think that's the other elephant in the room is, is this going to cost me? Because people have experiences with other insurers where as soon as you report something, your premium might get triggered. And our premiums don't get triggered just on the basis of a report. We want people to report early and as necessary. And so our triggers come down the line further along the triaging. Mike, did you know that about the report? That no. Thing, yeah, no. That, that's not, uh, to me, that, that's great. And if you read, there are lots of obligations on when to report. And obviously, those are, those are the obligations, but it's still helpful to hear that. Yeah, I mean, it's baked into Ontario's rules of professional conduct that you have to let your insurer know of claims and potential claims. And you also have a duty to talk with your client when there might be an error. But you can come to us first and we'll help you navigate those difficult client communications as well. And I do know that those can be the cause of the stress where the lawyer says, I don't even know how to break this to my client and I'm worried about what happens next. And we really encourage people to report to us and then a claims professional can help you navigate and discuss with you what the next steps are. And if it is that there's going to be a, a client communication from you, uh, we can help make sure that that's meeting the ethical requirements under the rules, but also making sure that it's it's recognizing the client needs as well as the insurance the insurance position that'll have to go forward. One of the things we're quite candid about is that in law school we're all trained. Oh yeah, you got to like know your black letter law. You got to know the law. You got to know the law. And we get these crazy fact patterns, and if you miss a point, you're you're doomed. And we all stress about that, and that's how we learn our stress as a lawyer is all around the substantive legal areas. But universally, across all areas of practice, error of law is only about 14 or 15 percent of the claims we see. It's actually communication, time management, and inadequate investigation that are the vast majority of the reported claims that we're seeing. And that's also the vast majority of the costs to our program where we have to pay a settlement, uh, where we're settling on behalf of a lawyer who's clearly made a mistake that requires compensation. The majority of those payments are through are related to communication, time management, and inadequate investigation. And when you drill down further, if you go into it, the number one across all areas except for plaintiff side litigation that we can talk about in a second, but the number one area by far is communication. What do you mean by inadequate investigation? So that's about not knowing exactly what's going on on your file, not digging enough and not getting all the facts out. So that's actually kind of related to communication, really. It's about spending those extra moments with the client to understand the entirety of a situation. Let's take a real basic example. Imagine that you are acting for somebody on a motor vehicle collision. If you 
didn't know that there was a police report and you didn't ask for it and you didn't get it, that's possibly going to tank your case if there's evidence there that goes completely contrary to what your understanding of the case is. Right? So inadequate investigation is about digging deeper, making sure you know what's actually happening in the, the, the case that you're working on. So this all, it's funny because where I was very interested in this conversation going has a lot to do with communication, common understanding, knowing your client's needs and goals. It also seems like we're kind of over-prioritizing one side and under-prioritizing the other. If what we're he hearing from Judah is most mistakes are made because you aren't talking to your clients enough, you don't really understand what they want, there's, there's not a... And instead, lawyers are saying, great, you want this, and then diving in for hours obsessively to create something that really might not suit the need. Nevertheless, they're spending hours and hours and hours on that work product instead of spending 10 more minutes on the phone with a client. So Judah, when you're out talking to lawyers, and at least from your perspective, being able to see generally how the practice is, is going, what sort of advice do you give lawyers to better serve clients? And I, I suppose by a kind of a secondary effect of that is avoid clients. So really, this goes back to your practice management 101. And if you're looking for the 101, come to our website because we've got all sorts of resources there that help. So at practicepro.ca, we've got templates that you can use for your own practice. But things like having a written retainer agreement are basic and really helpful because that helps people know exactly what they are hiring you to do. It helps you stay on task. And it means that if there's a change in what you're going to be delivering, you can have that conversation and document it in a follow-up written communication. So we always want people to really understand what their role is going to be. We also have limited retainer templates because a lot of lawyers are being asked to provide part of the legal solution for clients, either because in-house counsel are doing part of it or it's a team-based approach. Or because in the era of access to justice and unmet legal needs, clients can't afford the full freight and are going to have to do part of it and would like to work collaboratively with their lawyer, which is a pretty significant shift that we've seen in the last couple of decades. So we've got resources to make sure that you start out the gate by having a clear expectation of the lawyer role. Then there's a need for constant contact and constant communication with the client so that there shouldn't be any surprises in terms of result, uh, if it's in litigation or real estate or in any other type of transaction. We're there in part to help clients have less angst about their legal issue. Some people are in real trouble and it may not go well for them in a criminal matter, in an immigration matter, in litigation. But that shouldn't come as a complete surprise at the end of the day. So we need to constantly be in contact with our clients about where a file is at and what the expectation should be going forward. And people shouldn't be blindsided. That's the big piece that we see time and again is where there's a real disconnect between what the lawyer is saying or, or perhaps not saying and about what the lawyer expects is, is going to happen and what the client actually experiences. 
is there a big idea here that you have on what what happens with insurance or risk that can that can help us move forward? Well, I don't know if it's a big idea. Sometimes the biggest solves are really simple and in front of us. For me, the big idea that I've been noticing a lot is that process really matters. Uh, design really matters. Checklists really matter. Lawyers are real experts, real specialists. But when it comes to working a file from start to finish, there are basic steps that everyone has to take in their specific area of practice. Checklists and things that keep us on task and on track are really helpful. And you can collaborate more with your clients by keeping them informed about the key stages of the retainer and where you're at along the way. I love this. I absolutely love it. That is, I love that answer, Gina. It's funny, we've done these interviews and we've asked people who are talking about issue A and we think their big idea is so squarely going to be an issue A, but then their big idea winds up being something that's so much more generalizable and you know you can use it outside of just the certain discrete issues. So I think that's super cool. But the second thing is, it seems to be that process is the answer. I know I'm like a process advocate, but process is the answer to so many things. And Darlene is a great teacher on this as well. Don't do something twice. And so uh, it feels like so often what lawyers do is they get their head in squarely in one issue, go through that file, done, but then don't apply what worked in file A to file B or C or D. So in effect, are you basically just saying, hey, lawyers, like just outline how you go through these issues and then apply that out- outline or template to each time that you see a similar one? Absolutely. Let's not reinvent the wheel here. There's a great book that supports what you're saying. I forget the name of the author, but the title is The Checklist Manifesto. Do you know this book? So The Checklist Manifesto is by Atul Gawande. I'm oh, a huge you fan. Know it. All right. Oh, yeah. It's in some (laughs) of my presentations when we go out and educate the profession about stuff. I've Mm -hmm. got his cover on one of my PowerPoint slides. It is a lovely, brilliant read. What it can teach everyone is that this is not unique to law. It's not unique to anywhere. This is a universal that when you are trying to get uh, from A to B on a task, it's helpful to know what the subtasks are. And for people who are anxious, And for the young lawyers who might be litigating their first case and don't know where to start, if there's somebody in the office who can walk them through the process, that will reduce anxiety. Mm -hmm. If you know more, if you have that map, if you can get a sense of not messing up on just the process so that you can focus the time on the substantive and on your client's needs, that is a big stress relief for young lawyers And for senior lawyers who might think I've seen it all and I can do it all, keeping to a checklist and refining that checklist over time is always helpful as well. And you can take that checklist to make sure that you're staying on task. The last thing you want to see is that expert who kind of skipped a step by accident because they've got this. Yes, I thought that book was genius and it's in the medical context that it was written and it's effectively trying to do knowledge capture, right? Like that's the point of all this, these checklists and workflows and things like that. And 
I've spoken a lot on this podcast about systems, yep. <laughs> what we try to have in our house about everything and systems take a ton of mental load out. And I think in the, in the world of mentoring within law, there's so much tied up with asking the senior partner, asking the more senior associate, nowhere to find it other than taking someone's time. This is just so inefficient and also stress inducing. So I'm glad. I think this is a big idea. And I think it could, I think, Mike, honestly, you could not have said it better. A checklist should be something that people on your staff can use just as well as you. A checklist should be making sure that you're not missing key parts. And a checklist should be something where at the end of running a file, you can look back on it and say, did this get me from A to B? Is there anything else I need to know? Did I have to take any detours along the way because my map was deficient? Because you can always improve. But it's a, it can be a living document as long as everyone understands when the next iteration comes out, the why behind you, the change, and how to use it going forward. Love it. Really good. Really good advice. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, that is so applicable and so useful. So I think now we're ready to turn to our break and then all three of us will be back with our goods and gripes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. And before we turn to them, I will give the disclaimer that we are now including in all goods and gripes uh, sessions because of the nature of these times. Anything that we complain about here, obviously, uh, is meant to be tiny and small, and there are bigger issues in the world that we acknowledge as substantive and, and important, but we want to keep this time as a release and a way for all listeners and people on the podcast to enjoy. So with that said, uh, please excuse our tiny little gripes in this uh, otherwise uncertain time. Okay, goods. Does anyone have a good they want to promote or support? Judah, you go first if you have one. Oh, thank you. Uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've got a good law Twitter. How (laughs) awesome is it out there? There's a whole crazy international community of like-minded people trying to solve problems and share knowledge. It's awesome. I used to work as a policy lawyer, and you could find academic links in real time well before journals were coming out in in print format. You've got great discussions on legal ethics, on legal tech, on legal process management, on legal design, on substantive areas of law. I think it's just a great time to be alive that we can share information this candidly, this quickly, and with this much expertise across bands. Oh my gosh, you're so, I love your positivity. This is honestly, <laughs> Judah and I, on our, on our airplane flight, I didn't even know how long the Chicago flight was, but it went by like two minutes. It felt very short as far as flights go, considering. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah, very, and it was very positive. Lots of positivity that you've also brought to this podcast. So Mike, do you want to go next? My good, I just, I want to 
support and call out uh, in a positive way Bandcamp. For those of you that aren't in the music industry or uh, consume your music otherwise, Bandcamp is a, a website that allows bands to post albums and songs and folks uh, pay for those through Bandcamp and receive uh, downloads and so on. And on March 20th, they waived all their fees because they see that musicians are having a hard time and try to get folks to you know, support musicians that don't have a huge outlet for income right now because folks can't get together at concerts and so on. So a small example of a company that is in a certain space and tried to figure out a way to help. And I, and I think we're seeing that in a lot of different places, but that struck me as to be a very good thing. That is good. I have a very minor good, but I think I struggle a lot. So our kids watch really limited TV. We are a limited TV household, as most listeners to this podcast will know. But I was really struggling yesterday to both give myself, uh, the kids are home right now. Whenever this uh, episode airs, the kids are home and we're working. I was, I struggle to find media for kids that are age five and two that's not super frenetic high-paced and has scary stuff in it. And yesterday I came across, re, I sort of reintroduced myself to Winnie the Pooh. Do you guys know oh, about the yeah. greatness of yeah. Winnie the Pooh? So <laughs> it's sort of like on the Mr. Rogers thing where when I was a kid, I don't think I thought too much of Winnie the Pooh, but my kids just thought it was so funny. It's so quiet and slow and has words and learning and just nice. Nothing, nothing to be worried about. So I, I really thought that in, in these times, a little bit of Winnie the Pooh was a really, really nice break. Yeah. Judah, do you want to do the first gripe? Buffering? buffering. Are we still allowed to buffering. complain about buffering? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that's a good gripe. That's yeah, a very good you gripe. Know, I mean, it's a small thing, but as we're all shifting to online, it just reminds me of the 90s and dial-up internet and just so happy that mostly we're scaling up, but when the buffering, you know, that really bad sound vibe that sometimes happens off of, <laughs> off a Zoom meeting or something, it just sends me back to a dark, early internet <laughs> dark place. Time. <laughs> dark times. This is obviously a very small gripe. That's the point. No, as they should be. Just wait for mine. Just wait for mine. <laughs> okay, oh, go. Boy. Go, Mike. I got a small one. Okay, so weather has changed. The snow is gone. We are, it's raining more often. My gripe is having to wipe my dog's paws after she comes in. From that <laughs> no boots? It is oh, yeah, so, you can't get the boots on the you dog. Can't. We've I mean, I got two kids running around. I don't have time to put boots on a dog. I don't know who does. <laughs> but, oh, my gosh. It's like the wake up with the kids. It's like 6 a.m. Dog gets has to eat and go outside. I'm feeding my son some formula on the couch. And then I have to go figure out how to let this dog in without her ruining our entire first floor and deal with that. And oh boy, I, if I could do away with one thing right now, that would be on the top five on, on the gripe side. Right. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear the other ones. I guess my gripe would be the flip side of my Winnie the Pooh is just that I use a site called Common Sense Media when I'm trying to pick things for my kids. And it's really helpful because it gives you ages. And then there are parent reviews that give you ages. And then there are kid reviews that give you ages. So for example, if you think that Winnie the Pooh might be appropriate for your kids, you look it up and there are all these ratings and it says they rank them for scary things. And 
adult content and all that stuff. Super helpful. But also, why is so much cartoonish media so, I don't know, fast? Everything's so fast. What I really am welcoming about this time is just everything's slow. And I, I actually have a gripe about just the speed of media and everything's just so frenetic at this moment. So that's, uh, I don't know, I guess it's a, it's a specific gripe about specific movies, but it just seems like it's a lot and TV shows. This has been great, Judah. Thanks so much for your time and for your expertise. You've given us so much to think about and provided us a great big idea. So we appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Check out practicepro.ca in the liner notes. Is that how we do this? Yes. We oh my will gosh, you're a professional. Yes, you're like a pro. Yes. That's what we'll this do. is me living my radio dream. So thank you so much for the podcast. <laughs> you're welcome. Whatever we can do to help out. So. <laughs> you got a voice for it, buddy. All yeah, right. Thank exactly. You. Thanks again. Thanks. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon. Thank you.